Welcome back, everyone. This is the Fort Wright Gaming Podcast, making gaming content for gamers by gamers. And I'm your host, Ian, who with me today is David. This week, we're talking about one of the biggest gaming franchises of all time, Halo. This is a franchise that launched Microsoft and America into the gaming industry after the arcade crash of the, of the 1980s. Now, technically, there was Jaguar, but Jaguar only sold like 250,000 units. Xbox sold 24 million units. So I'd say that's really us getting into the game more so than what Atari did with Jaguar. This franchise spans six mainline video game titles, a spin-off title for Halo 3, uh, RTS series, uh, mobile top-down twin-stick shooter spin-off, and an arcade cabinet shooter, multiple books, multiple TV miniseries, an anthology movie, uh, an animated movie, and a Showtime TV series that is currently in the works. So to say the least, this franchise has had a huge impact on not just the video game culture and industry, but also the entertainment and pop culture as a whole. Now we're going to kind of talk about the rise, the fall, and kind of what the future is of this franchise since it spans from 2001 till today and even in the future. Um, so let's start with the rise of it. Uh, November 15th, 2001, almost 20 years ago, Microsoft launched their first video game console, which was the Xbox, with its launch title Halo Combat Evolved. This was the first, uh, this wasn't the first uh, first person shooter to hit a home console, and it wasn't the first first person shooter to offer multiplayer on the home console either. That would most likely be like GoldenEye or probably some older titles out there, but GoldenEye is probably the most popular one before Halo. Uh, but d this did turn out to be one of the best uh, and best titles for a first-person shooter on a console and created a turning point in pop culture for video games. Video gaming was becoming increasingly more and more popular, especially in America. Uh, and with America joining the console wars and with Halo, this was a huge turning point to become more mainstream uh, with more casual gamers than just the hardcore nerds out there. Um, the success of the console uh, and Halo is really what got more and more people into the mainstream gaming. Uh, I myself wasn't a fan of the current uh, first-person shooters that were mainly out there on PC uh, at the time, which were like Quake. Um, I think I played Heretic, which is kind of a Doom clone, but that was more with fantasy and magic versus guns. I mean, issue with a lot yeah, of... Yeah, like System Shock. Yeah, yeah, like uh, yeah, the system shocks, the older PC games. Yeah, the older not really PC console, games. but yeah. And my biggest problem with a lot of the first-person shooters at the time, at least the ones I played in, like the Quake clones and all that, was that they're very much what I would call like a twitch shooter, where it's very, very fast-paced movement. It, it definitely takes a learning curve to get used to, to the point where it's like this is too fast and too nauseating, so I'm not going to play it. Um, but you have basically had to twist my arm and drag me into playing Halo <laughs> for the first time. I remember you telling like, no, no, it's going to be good. It's going to be good, man. Trust me. Um, so do you remember that first night? Like, I remember spending the night at your house. You're like, no, trust me, we're going to play Halo. It'll be awesome. Ooh, I don't remember too much. I just remember marathoning that game all night long. And, and I remember you said it, like, we almost beat the whole game in the single sitting. Like, we just, like, our butts didn't leave the seats. It was just jam on through and have a blast and drinking soda all night long. I mean, the game's a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know... For me, this game was so good because it was a total package that offered to the gamers. And multiplayer experience, you know, it was very rare for you to get split screen like this, right? You had co-op split screen two-player. You had four-player split screen multiplayer. And then you could land, uh, use a LAN party, right? You could connect your Xbox to three more Xboxes on a Switch of some sort or to another Xbox original, right? And then you can have up to 16 players on multiplayer. So... This is on top of, you know, great controls, balanced gameplay, amazing sound, the awesome soundtrack by Martin O'Donnell, 
there are a lot of, of great memories you can have by playing this game. And I still have a lot of great memories from playing this game, you know, especially on a big old 70 inch big screen TV back in the day, which nowadays is like a massive television, um, you know, comparable to like a massive LCD LED TV. But there just wasn't any other experience out there like that at the time. And, I, and to some degree, I want to say there still isn't an experience like the original Halo 1. You know, I definitely say like the concept of a LAN party was something that at the time was only with PC gamers and it's only people bringing their giant, well, not even giant, like nowadays PC towers are huge, right? But they basically had to bring the PC tower and they had to bring their giant CRT monitors <laughs> with them. And you'd see people with a ton with that, like multiple dining room tables lined up and wires everywhere just so their friends could play a multiplayer game at a LAN party. Like, seeing that, like, yeah, that's fun to do, but that's a lot of equipment and a lot of power plugs and <laughs> plugging it in to where Microsoft made it so easy with the Xbox here. Take this one box, plug it in to the wall, connect each other, and then boom, you're set and you're done. So it completely, like, simplified the LAN party concept, concept too, which made it really easy for more people to get together and play. Um, now, this game couldn't have captured the attention of so many gamers without bringing something new to the table. Halo really brought two specific things to the game industry at large, innovation and high production storytelling. And that is a big thing. Like when you look at gaming now, almost everybody is just copying everybody's idea and running with it. And there's no real innovation except for probably new ways to charge us money for my, for transactions. <laughs> but the thing that makes Halo stand out was its innovations. Now, some of the innovations that it brought was Halo 1 brought a large outdoor-indoor map split-screen co-op multiplayer and a 16-player land gaming and a compelling narrative in the Master Chief, the Covenant, and the Flood. So you have environments, you have split-screen co-op, you have land party uh, connectivity, and a really good narrative that's told in a very cinematic way. Um, the big thing with the indoor-outdoor is that the background loading, right? Like before you have a game and you have your indoor level and then you have to wait for a loading screen to load the next level, which was outdoor. Halo very much went from starting inside a tiny ship to going to walking outside, and then you're in this of massive, uh, massive landscape and going in and outside facilities without loading because everything's loading in the background. Um, yeah, that map, um, Silent Cartographer, is the one you're mentioning in Halo 1. It still serves as like a litmus test for whether or not you can design a good indoor-outdoor environment, which, but mind you, from an engineering standpoint, is a challenge. But they not only nailed that like engineering side, but they also made it very playable, even still to this day. And I think one thing worth mentioning about Halo 1 is it was developed in six months. You know, when you think about that, that sounds insane. Um, You know, Microsoft acquired Bungie. They were originally going to develop it for the Macintosh, you know, the Mac OS platform. And then they kind of snatched them up and then within six months got them to crank out this masterpiece. So what they pulled off is amazing. Yeah, and it definitely changed generation. I remember seeing some of the very first footage of Halo. You can see in some of the documentaries where they were designing it for the Mac. And it was a completely different experience. It wasn't a first-person shooter. It was almost like an RTS top-down uh, view of the game uh, so they did a massive change of direction and probably for the better uh, at the time now halo 2 multiplayer is what really launched the xbox live platform to the gold standard is today before halo 2 multiplayer was really limited to rooms hosted by specific <laughs> players where you could uh you would jump into somebody's lobby but this time bungie created matchmaking which had become the benchmark for uh skill level balancing in online gaming so basically you just hit a button and it's going to match make you with people who have the same amount of type of experience as you do. And you're not going to get stuck in a room with a bunch of pros who just <laughs> decimate you, right? 
Um, this really helped uh, reduce player frustration with multiplayer because when you're playing on my re recollection of playing first person shooters on PC is one, I'm inexperienced in playing with a bunch of people who are going to kick my ass. <laughs> yeah. And two, it's pretty true. And two, I'm, I'm going to be um, waiting forever for a room to load, and hopefully I don't get kicked out of that room because I'm trying to find people who will let me play with them, right? Matchmaking kind of let go of all that so you can just easily match up with people and then jump right into a game, right? Um, yeah, they had the the bungee, yeah. They had the bungee stuff too, which I thought was interesting because if you're really interested in how you got owned in a match, you could just go on bungee.net, look up your gamer tag, and then you can see the map and what, what was used against you, how you were killed, how many times you were killed. You know, this is before post-match um, gaming kind of had a bigger like report, if you will, where you could have these tabs you can kind of look at stuff. So bungee.net was pretty innovative at its time. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely bungee.net. That was a thing that if you really got into it, you would go to, to your matches, study how you got killed, see where people were at. Like That's how like people found the sniper perches that were at the top of the um, Blood Gulch Canyon that you could sneak up there with a ghost and sit up super high where nobody, nobody expects you to be at and then just snipe from the whole map. Um, that type of stuff didn't exist before. Having that in there just gave a whole new level of interactivity and people like getting really competitive and actually brought kind of more pro gaming to consoles because of that. So Halo 2 also launched, uh, I would say, uh, AR gaming or augmented reality gaming because before this, there wasn't really AR gaming. It wasn't really a thing. That, it wasn't even called AR gaming when th when this launched. But Halo 2 was such a huge thing that it was the only video game to have its trailer actually displayed in the movie theaters in front of a movie. I don't remember what movie it was, but I remember hearing stories that people would only go to watch the trailer. But at the end of that trailer, uh, where you have the Xbox branding, instead of saying Xbox.com, it would switch to ILoveBees.com, which had put people on basically a scavenger hunt online. One of the first major ones that ever happened where people were decoding messages on a hacked website, uh, listening to little story tidbits that gave you a little bit more lore in the universe and ultimately ended up from people getting um, geography coordinates to pay phones at specific locations and times all around the U.S. where they would go, the phone would ring, they pick it up and there would be somebody on the line uh, telling them a story snippet from the Halo universe, right? Oh, I think the biggest story I remember hearing from that was like, there's a hurricane in one section of the country, and somebody still went out to the payphone to answer. They're like, okay, that's cool <laughs> that you came out here, but there's a hurricane. Please go to, go to safety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the AR stuff was pretty cool. And um, I know last time we spoke, we also talked about how there was a VR headset, which you didn't know about. Uh, and and uh, apologize for not mentioning that before we, we thought we talked about this more, but it was actually only shown to my knowledge at E3 in 2005, which happened to coincide with the launch of the 360. And, and you'd basically go to this booth, which kind of felt like an underground basement. I mean, you would go down this walkway and then it kind of went underneath part of the facility. And there was a company, which to my knowledge had no connection to Microsoft or Bungie. They had just developed this headset that churned the headset's movement into a right analog stick. And so if you churn left, it was kind of like you hit left on the right analog stick and so on. 
And so they basically had that there with a demo portion of Halo 2 that everybody could just play for 10 minutes. And you had this large battle sequence in the main campaign that you would play. And everybody loved it, mind you. So it was a shame that this device never really saw the light of day. And, I mean, I couldn't even take pictures of this thing. They wouldn't let me take I really wanted to take a picture just to kind of prove it. I tried looking it up before we, you know, we talked this time, and I, I couldn't find anything on it. So, I mean, this this device is definitely obscure. If you have access to this device, we would love to see it. Yeah, I mean, if it even still exists. I mean, it's probably highly likely <laughs> gone now, or it's what the HoloLens has evolved into, basically, right? Um, so... After Halo 2, which was on the Xbox, uh, original Xbox, huge boom from multiplayer and all that, Halo 3 comes out on the next iteration of the console, the Xbox 360. Uh, this was such a huge thing where it's such, it was such a console mover, such a, a, the killer app to have for the device that basically a kind of mediocre game where I would say it was fun, but it wasn't like the best game ever was made the number one selling title at its launch, which was Crackdown, because it came with a Halo 3 <laughs> multiplayer beta. Everybody bought Crackdown to play Halo 3. And yeah, Halo, Crackdown was a decent game. We can talk about that in the later podcast, maybe. But Halo 3 is what really pro- propelled kind of the false narrative that ha- that Crackdown is this massively great game where it's actually, you know, people bought for Halo 3. And I remember getting cracked out and just playing, as soon as they released the Halo 3 beta for it, just playing Halo 3 nonstop until they shut off the beta. Um, now, Halo uh, 3, like I said, was the first game on the new, on the next console. Um, and they took a good lesson here, right? Because this game did not come out with the launch of the 360. They waited till they had it done right. So they learned their lessons from Halo 1 and 2. They improved on it and uh, raised the bar even further. Yeah, would we have loved to have it as a launch title? Yes, but they actually took the time and waited and came out with a properly polished game because Halo 3 is the end of the main storyline, basically. Then after that, um, the last game that Bungie actually worked on was Halo Reach, uh, which is basically everybody describes it as the goodbye love letter uh, to the fans for the franchise. Uh, This game took place as a prequel before Halo 1, um, they really took lessons from Halo 1 to 3 and made an amazing game with great cinematics, a great story to be told. And the multiplayer was done really great, regardless if you like Armor Lock or not. I think Armor Lock's the shit. Everybody who says otherwise, <laughs> you can fight me on that. Um, but very much, it was a precursor to Bungie's Destiny, um, and you can see a few hints of that in there. But Reach was definitely the title that's like, all right, we're now done with our... with um, this franchise, we're going to move on. The only other game here that we haven't mentioned yet was um, ODST, but we'll, go, we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later, where that was basically a spin-off uh, title that kind of takes place between Halo 2 and Halo 3. If you were going to play these games in order, you'd play Reach, Halo 1, Halo 2, stop after, like, level 2 or 3 in Halo 2, and play ODST, <laughs> and then finish shoot, and then then play Halo Three, and that would give you the entire timeline of the franchise, basically. Um, so now, uh, before we go uh, any further, let's get into the uh, Halo st- uh, storytelling, and we'll give you a kind of a synopsis of the games. It's going to be a little bit of a spoiler, but I mean, these games have been out for almost twenty years, uh, so you've either played it or you've at least heard heard what ha- what's happened already. Uh, now, Dave, you had some thoughts on how uh, you play games um, that are interesting. 
uh, you mind mentioning what you said to me last time on that? Yeah, totally. Um, so personally, a great game or even a movie, right? A great game is really about providing food for your mind, right? When a game is abundant with great ideas, it's kind of stuck in your head and you can't get it out. And what what's really special about Halo, and I guess specifically Halo 1, is it really did an amazing job in captivating the mind of gamers. You know, if you don't mind us going a little bit into Halo 1, right? What's still fascinating about it is the introduction of the main villain, The Flood, two-thirds into the game. This is still unheard of in gaming, right? Most developers these days are more focused on merchandising and microtransactions. The fact that you have the main villain introduced this late into the game, it, it's still refreshing and fun to see play out. And it really provides your mind with, with a good meal to ponder and gives you something to walk away with even once you've put the game down. And I think that's what makes the Halo franchise so special is you see these ideas at play in the narrative that you just don't see in most other games, especially with you know the earlier Halo titles as opposed to the more later ones. Yeah, yeah, as you said, like, the the storytelling of Halo of Halo One and it being a first person shooter wasn't just hey you're a guy with a gun running through these corridors and kill stuff. Um, it really had a refreshing uh, take on telling on storytelling it f- from a cinematic view uh, of a video game. Okay, uh, basically with Halo One, like how it starts out, you're basically a super soldier called a Spartan, uh, and then you basically wake up from a cryo sleep and then. Two minutes later, your ship you're on is being attacked and you're, th- and you're throwing it through. Like, literally, the guy who wakes you up says, hey, come on, let's go get you outfitted. And then he dies. <laughs> and it's like, oh, crap, I have no gun. Shit's exploding. Where am I supposed to go? And basically find yourself getting to the bridge, getting stuff situated, and then giving, getting in your first mission, which is you need to get off this ship that's being invaded and... Uh, about to crash land on Halo, which is basically a ring world built by a civilization that's long gone. Um, and you're being attacked by an alien army called the Covenant, which at this time we don't know anything about them other than, hey, there's a bunch of kind of different aliens here, they're, and they have superior technology and they're beating the crap out of us. Um, but unknown to you and the Covenant, uh, and who basically the Covenant sees these rings as the start of a great journey, which is a religious transcendence, for them is that halo is actually a doomsday weapon uh which can wipe out all life including humans and the covenant and everything in the universe uh while you're uh so while you're fighting to make headway of hey you're by yourself you crash landed on this ring world the covenant are there they're attacking you you're trying to find find some type of way to one rescue your captured uh crewmates get a ship and get out of there they come across, uh, like you said, the villain, the, the Flood, which uh, they're introduced to player through a fellow soldier's like headset camcorder. Uh, you see them enter a lockdown room, which the Covenant have worked really hard to secure and keep everybody out and keep it locked in, uh, only to realize that the room was filled with a parasite, uh, a parasite called the Flood. They then cut to you realizing that you're in that same room, that the Flood just wiped out your uh, <laughs> command squad. Uh then that's basically where, where the recording ends. So that's one of the major scenes in the game that was done very cinematically, f- showing you not just that sequence of them getting overtaken by the flood, but from like the beginning of that level of them having banter amongst soldiers, going exploring the facility, finding this room, wondering what the hell is happening, and then coming across this parasite that ends up uh, being a huge issue that's going to 
possibly destroy the the uh, galaxy if they if it gets out. Um, so before you know it, you suddenly realize that the Halo rings were the Halo ring itself was designed to stop the flood, because the civilization that built it found the flood, came across them, fought a huge war against them, and realized there's no way to stop the flood other than wiping out its food source, which is everything that it can eat. Anything that's carbon-based or sentient <laughs> life, the flood eats and converts it into the flood. So their solution was to destroy all life in the galaxy in order to stop the flood, to starve it out. And the Covenant, in their religious, you know, pursue, pursue, uh, pursuit, I mean, they want to activate the ring, which hence will destroy everybody. And these rings, there's more than one, right? You're only on one, but the rings can activate the rest, which can then further destroy more life. And you're now tasked with getting ahead of this so that this doesn't start. <laughs> yeah, and it's basically because you have this ancient civilization who created all this stuff. Nobody knows too much about it. You're not necessarily equipped to, to learn a lot about them either because, remember, Halo 1 is your one human sh uh, command ship uh, with a crew that crash lands by themselves uh, on this ring world that, was in that the Covenant were pursuing. So it's not like there's a research team or scientists studying stuff to really give you a ton of exposition. You kind of hear all this on the fly and then find out, oh, shit, I got to stop this ring from firing because if it does, we're all going to die. The Covenant does, don't even realize that's what's going to happen. They're thinking that they're about to transcend to godhood if they end up uh, lighting it. Now, after Halo 1 ends, that's where Halo 2 kind of picks up. Uh, game picks up after the book called Halo First Strike, but you don't have to read that book to understand what happens. Basically, Master Chief es escapes the ring at the end of Halo 1. He gets back to Earth, and that's where Halo 2 starts. You're back on a space station outside Earth. They set you all up, and then once again, just like the first game, about five minutes into you, you being back and being awarded all the for all your accolades in Halo 1, boom, the Covenant have found Earth, and they're attacking again. And now you have to run to uh, run defense until you can get to an offensive mode, which is kind of the formula of Halo, which is you run defense for the first part of the game until you find out more about what's the bigger picture is, and then you can finally run offensively against uh, your enemy. And also the nice thing was that there's no singular enemy here. It's not, hey, there's this one guy in charge doing all this who's commanding everything. If you kill the, cut the head of the snake, it's over. It's, hey, here's an army, which is a conglomerate of different alien races, which you kind of learn more of in Halo 2. Because even Bungie will tell you in their documentary about it was that, hey, Halo 2 is the retelling of Halo 1, but through the eyes of the Covenant, since they introduce you to the Arbiter, who now plays as the second player um, in Halo 2. And you get that's why you get a mixture of levels where you're playing as this Arbiter and you're getting their point of view and how the Arbiter and his race ends up finding out what you know, that, hey, Halo's a weapon and it's going to kill everybody. Let's not like this thing. Uh, which adds even more deeper intricacies into that lore, right? You start off with just a survival mission to um, an invasion of Earth to... A civil war within a giant covenant of multiple alien races happening all at once, right? And then Halo 2 ends with like what everybody will tell you is a slap in the face. It ends on a huge cliffhanger to the point where basically it ramps you up for the next mission. The chief sits there and says, I'm here to finish the fight. And then bam, you're slapped with the credits. And you're like, I was ready for the next <laughs> level. What happened? 
I didn't get to finish the fight. <laughs> so then Halo 3 picks up after that, right? You're here to finish the fight. You, uh, Chief has gone back to Earth uh, where the Covenant are, and they're going to finally stop the Flood, stop the Covenant, and all that kind of comes together at the end of that game, making it the end of this story, which is Master's journey from being being lost in space to being reunited and dis and disabling this massive threat to the galaxy. Now, in between all this, we have uh, Halo ODST that pops up. Like I said, that kind of, kind of takes place in between Halo Two and Halo Three. ODST is what I would say is like your your Star Wars Rogue One. It is. A side story inside the, the Halo universe that involves no super soldiers, no special uh, weapons or, or special abilities. It's just you're part of a squad who is there to do a mission. It goes completely haywire from the get-go, and you spend the rest of, your, rest of the game watching these soldiers kind of literally do things on the fly as they're trapped inside an occupied city uh, uh, new, new Mombasa in uh, Africa. And that game has a really cool, like, noir storytelling aspect to it with the mysteries that you find and what's going on. Um, it's very good standalone game. I definitely recommend people playing it. And then Bungie kind of comes out after that with Halo Reach, which we again said was the bookend of the story, where now you're playing on what they call uh, Planet Reach, which if you're a fan of the series and you look into the lore... Reach was basically the military research planet of the of hu the human civilization. The Covenant attack in full force, and you're playing an as another Spartan uh, of a noble team. So it's you and like I think four or five other Spartans uh, soldiers with you. Uh, not playing squad play; it's still first person shooter. But you're playing with these other Spartan soldiers, and you're going through missions on trying to defend Reach, which ultimately falls. And then I nod to uh, the Halo series is that at the end of the game, you see the ship the Master Chief's on fleeing Reach, which rolls right into Halo 1, where they leave Reach and find the Halo ring uh, kind of by chance. Now, this kind of brings us to where I would say is the fall of Halo uh, franchise, right? Which is Halo 4. So Bungie's written, written this masterpiece of a story. They've gone across... Three main games, a spin-off game to give you a little bit more context of the universe, and a prequel game to, to let you know where kind of things began, and that, hey, there weren't any Spartans because they all died on Reach, defending it, and Chief was the last <laughs> one, right? Now, they booked in that, they left Halo 3 open for a possible, for definitely a sequel with how that ends, saying, hey, the Chief going back into a cryosleep and saying, hey, wake me when you need me. And said, okay, Microsoft, we're going to give you Halo. You can keep that franchise. We're going to go off and do our own thing. Which led to Bungie being uh, acquired by Activision and doing Destiny and what they're doing now. But Halo 4 was completely made by uh, Microsoft's uh, studios called 343 Industries. Which is basically all the fans of, of Halo uh, that worked at Microsoft, right? Or who were developers in gaming. They went <laughs> and they made a like fan-based uh, development studio to work solely on the Halo franchise. <clears throat> now, this is where I say kind of the fall of the franchise happens is because the storytelling changes here, right? And if you watch any documentaries or making of Halo 4, you'll see them, you'll see the developers tell you straight out like, hey, Master Chief was a shell that the player inhabited in the first, in the first game. Uh, so it was just 
no real character there. He was just there for you to be, you to take his place. They wanted to make Master Chief more of a human being who is flawed um, and not just a faceless avatar. The problem with this is that it changes the dynamic and it changed some of the writing, whereas Halo 3 ends with you again lost in space, but the world warning you, thinking, warning you as the hero of humanity, right? You stopped the flood, you stopped the covenant, you brought peace between the covenant and the human beings. Everything, everything is happy go lucky now. And then suddenly you wake up and you're fighting the covenant again. We don't really know why. It's just another, it's kind of explained as a religious zealot cult outside of the covenant that who still kind of believe in something. We don't really know what. And then they give you a singular villain here who was introduced in the books a year prior to the game came out. So unless you're a hardcore fan, you're just keeping up with every book that they came out with, which there are a lot of books. I wouldn't even know where to begin other than The Fall of Reach <laughs> being the first one. And I have no idea which book is like the most recent. But this, it, it, those books introduce a character who they later try to like, like kind of retcon into the original Halo games with the Master Chief Collection. Um, but... When this villain shows up, everybody starts talking, starts calling him by name as if like they know what he is and who he is. And I, as a game game player, I'm like, why why does everybody know who this guy is? And then <laughs> when you finally reunite with with uh, a human force, they're not interested in in you being a hero. They treat you like garbage and don't care that you're like, hey, I found this new threat. We probably need to take care of that. They're just all about, hey, give us your AI. It, it needs to get, get destroyed. Stop! Uh, stop talking to me. The fact of like how disrespectful people were to the chief. I'm like, this makes no sense. No way in the military this would happen. If you found like the savior of humanity, you wouldn't sit there and treat him like he was a private in the military. All of a sudden, yeah, and they really did. I'm not even sure if there's a good way to describe his character shift, but in the original, you know, first three Halo games, and and uh, yeah, the first three. He was very stoic. You know, he was kind of like, you know, just give me my orders. I don't care how impossible it is. I'll get it done. And then this time he he's, I would say they kind of gave him emotions that didn't fit his character. You know, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's who's watched many of his friends and, and, and you know, his allies just kind of fall in battle. He's seen some of the darkness of war. And then here he is kind of like chasing Cortana, you know, almost to like kind of making him a little whiny, I would even say, in the process and really shifting his personality from how you thought he was to to this new version of Master Chief. And like you said, they're really 343 was really trying to give him more of a human touch. But I think that's something you would do best served by adding that around him as opposed to giving it to him. And I think that's why Cortana was so good in the earlier Halo games, right? Because she kind of was more human emotionally and responsive than he was, whereas he was kind of non-expressive. And, and I know you mentioned that this is kind of meant for you to fill his shoes so that he's not going to talk a lot. You, you're supposed to kind of be him. And if he talks more, that kind of takes you out of it. And I think that's why when you shift to four, you see a lot of that disjointed experience with him as a character. And you kind of feel it too, because it it doesn't feel like you fit in with that universe. Like you said, he's not respected. He's more emotional. Um, and you don't really have a good villain in 4 either. So 4 was kind of a misstep in many ways narratively when you play it. Yeah, I mean, what the interesting thing was like 4 had a lot of good hype around it. And that's one reason why it was successful. Because the hype around that game was, okay, we're going to bring the 4 runners, who was the civilization that 
designed the Halo rings. The Forerunners are going to come back and we're going to fight against them. And it was interesting to see them bring them back, but bringing them back with a, with a head of that army, which was, hey, again, the head of the snake, which is controlling everything, has control over all of the all of the Forerunners uh, that you fight. When you kill him and his controls are relinquished, it then leaves the question like, why am I still fighting the Forerunners in Halo 5? Like, why, <laughs> what, why are they there? What's their motivation? We don't know because they were only there doing the bidding of one guy that we defeat at the end of Halo 4, right? Who doesn't come back. Spec Ops at least offered us a good narrative in, in what it did, you know. Like you mentioned last time, you get to design your own Spartan, you get to play your own Spartan, and you go through this, you know, this short campaign, if you will, as as a, you know, or not even a Spartan, really, you're just a soldier. But it's it was a nice experience, but the main campaign of Halo 4, by comparison, was nowhere near the level of storytelling or quality. Yeah, and as you mentioned, Spartan Ops was an add-on to Halo 4 that was an episodic uh, adventure download that you download after the fact the game came out. Like, the game came out, all you had was multiplayer and you had the main story. And then Spartan Ops came out month, uh, like every month afterwards, I think, when they, after they started it. And it's a five-episode uh, campaign, which they weren't short levels. They were pretty long and pretty, uh, and pretty complicated as far as all everything you had to do. It wasn't just... Hey, run run through this corridor, kill everything, hit a button, and you're done. There was a story being told there, which was really interesting, and actually ties more into Halo Five than the Halo Four main campaign. The Spec Ops or Spartan Ops actually gives you the precursor of Halo Five than more so than the Halo Four story does. Um, that was a great addition. That was like one way of like, hey, cool, we. You understand how DLC works. It should be more good content added to a game, not just, hey, here's some cosmetic stuff. Here's a pack of cards or a loot box to open. Um, but you can definitely see the difference when you look at Halo 4 from the Bungie games, right? Because Bungie games, we talked about all the innovations that they made moving forward in gaming. What Halo 4 brought wasn't anything really new. It was due to the Halo franchise, but like the concept of supply drops because you got so many kills, you can now get a drop and get three random weapons or random two random weapons and a power up boost that you get to pick up pick from. That's Call of Duty stuff. That wasn't invented by Halo by Halo Four. They just took elements that worked in other games and put it into this universe and put it into this element. And yeah, it worked good and it was fun, but it's just fun. It's just like Call of Duty multiplayer is fun. <laughs> It what, it, but it wasn't anything pushing anything forward. Now we get to Halo Five, where this was an even bigger misstep. <laughs> where it's like, cool, here's Halo Five. We're gonna bait. We're gonna base this off of um, not only the Spartan Ops stuff having a good a leadway into this, but we're going to uh, also introduce you to some new Spartans, uh, who the main character is introduced in a short film called Nightfall which was released kind of like on the console itself and on the Halo app kind of like as a video service. This is when Xbox One was like, hey, we're going to do TV and video stuff. So that's, that's what they pushed a lot on all this, on a lot of their launch titles. So Halo 5 is kind of tied to this uh, new Spartan who is Spartan Locke. He's basically, he's basically a CIA agent who becomes a Spartan. Because what Halo 4 sets up is that They've restarted the Spartan program, but instead of taking uh, children and basically genetically altering them into these super soldiers, they found a way of doing it to just regular soldiers, right? So 
they give you uh, Agent Locke, who leads a, a new squad. Now this is this new squad gameplay in Halo 5, where it's you and three other Spartans in your squad. And actually brought back some past characters from ODST. You had a character in the Infilian played called Buck, who was just a regular soldier who now has become a Spartan, who is part of your main squad. Uh, but Halo 5 then goes and does this kind of bait-and-switch marketing campaign. All the marketing on it was about how Agent Locke is hunting down the Master Chief. He's done Master Chief has done something horrible, some horrible crime that's made him go AWOL, and Agent Locke now needs to go hunt down the Master Chief. So you kind of take that classic turn of where the hero becomes the villain, and that whole, that whole concept of the game kind of doesn't flow very well because you go level to level. One's playing as Locke's crew, the next playing as the Master Chief and his crew. Uh, so you understand why the Master Chief went AWOL, and you can sympathize with it so you don't feel like he's done anything <laughs> wrong. And then you have Agent Locke and his crew who hunts him down, and all this culminates to a fist fight in the middle of the game that's kind of like watching a fist fight with The Rock in the movie where, like, The Rock can never lose a fight in any of his movies. <laughs> so, like, when you have him fight somebody, he never loses. So, like, this fist fight that happens in Halo 5, like, doesn't really have a winner or a loser. It just kind of ends because it has to. And then Agent Locke and your crew are now helping out the Master Chief. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. And then the other big issue here is that Throughout this entire game franchise, if you just played the games, Master Chief was the last Spartan until the Spartan program rebooted in Halo 4. <clears throat> but in Halo 5, they bring back three Spartans who were in the same training group as the Master Chief when he was a kid. And they don't explain at all where the hell they were, where they came from, where were they were during the Covenant War, where were they during any of this shit. What the hell, why would your greatest assets not be in the fight against the Covenant in the last three games? Yeah, I had no clue what was going on in that game. It, it felt like I was given a, a coded message, you know, but instead of getting a full message, I only got like five words out of 20, and I'm supposed to go search out the rest. And I was just, I'm not going to read the books. I'm not going to watch the movies. I'm not going to do all that. You know, I just I just love the Halo games. And it was, it was unfortunate that there were so many missteps with Halo 5, and Halo 5 is so different from Halo 4 even. You know, Halo 4 kind of is this weird gap between Bungie Halo and 343's Halo 5. And at least with Halo 4, you had really solid multiplayer. You had a good experience, and, and the storytelling was sufficient. But in 5, it's almost like you have more questions than answers once you're done with the game. So 5 was really, really interesting from that perspective. But, I mean, it, it's definitely disappointing overall, I would say. Even if, even like, you know, I men you mentioned the last time, if you're going to play these games again, 5, you could skip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Five has such a huge change in the mechanics of how the guns feel, how the gameplay works. I mean, the big revolution of Four was you could actually finally sprint and not it and it not be like a uh, armor ability. It was like, yes, everybody knows how to run, so you can run. <laughs> Halo Five introduced running and jetpack and like a jetpack boost with it, and a bunch of other stuff. It's like you've made the co the controls too complicated. There's so many things I can do here at my disposal. I just need a gun and to shoot somebody. I don't need to be able to ground ground slam them from the air, do a boost a boost run to hit them in the back and kill them instantly. Just let me shoot them. <laughs> um, so like, Halo Five definitely feels like it's in a weird spot of how it plays through. 
it does a very cliche thing because like again i said it, it makes the hero the villain which we all see coming a mile away but it's just kind of this weird weird amalgamation of like bad storytelling uh bringing things in from the books that no but if you didn't read the books you have no idea why they're there and i get like a lot of media uh, especially video games even books even movies they'll have spin-off things like comics and books or whatnot and it's great to have that extra medium but that extra medium needs to supplement your main your main medium for something so like if you start off with movies and you put uh books into it books are great supplemental backstory but you know, nobody's, nobody would like watching Lord of the Rings movies if they had to go read five of their books to supplement information for the third movie, right? That would make no sense. Um, so you make, you write books, and you write extra stories. That's great, but they just they need to be standalone stuff that doesn't necessarily affect your main franchise, uh, but could realistically happen within the universe of your main franchise. Way they did it here was just you're a fan. You read the books, right? Here's all the we just brought people back from the books. If you want to know what, why, they go buy our books. It's like what what books do I have to buy? There's like 30, 40, 50 books, but now I mean I don't want to go and pick and choose and figure out why why these three characters are here now. Which books do I need to read? That's just you should tell me that in the story. Yeah, I'm a gamer. Show me. Don't tell me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So then uh, we come to what is probably like the best version of Halo as it is today. But when it launched, it was a complete misstep and a complete complete screw up, basically. I'm surprised nobody got fired for it, which is the Master Chief Collection. Master Chief Collection is now the best way to play these games, right? Because you buy Master Chief Collection, you'll get 1, 2, 3, ODST, Halo Reach, and Halo 4 all in one night night and uh, nice package. You'll have playlists where you can play the entire franchise uh, from beginning to end with no breaks in between it. Um, it was really well put together in that aspect. All the campaigns worked really well, but where they misstepped the most was this game was so hyped up. It was so great. Like this was going to sell Xbox ones to people, right? Because it's all the halo games, all the multiplayer maps, all the DLC of maps, and everything all in one package. 50 and minute then, load times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they they botched the multiplayer with the long load times, but they never finding matches. And what's so infuri- infuriating to me and probably you about is that at the time we worked at Microsoft, uh, was that Microsoft with these, especially games like this, there's internal betas. So there's Microsoft employees playing this game, telling them, hey, three for three, it's taking me 20 minute, minutes to find a matchmaking uh, match. Uh, then I'm in the match and I drop out. And we can't get this to work, can't get that to work. And their pushback was, oh, well, there's not enough people in the beta to fill the servers. So that's why you're not finding anybody. Then they launched the game, and then all then the millions of people playing, it's like, we can't match make. And then they finally took that complaint seriously, went in, and it took them over a year to fix it. Yeah, I so think now, part of the problem was they just had too many modes. You know, when you went in the initial draft of it, the user interface was different. The way you would select everything is different. They smoothed that all out so that you just had literally a button for each game. You could you could choose if you wanted to have that multiplayer included, and then you could choose your modes and then done. You would just choose a mode, choose a map, match make in, boom, you're in. You know, you went from possibly never loading into a match to now loading into a match within a minute. It was a huge shift, and, and you know, you mentioned they went through and they updated this game this is probably one of the most impressive updates I've ever seen to a game that really bombed at the time of launch. And 
I mean, it was what two and a half years later the between launch and and fully repaired to a, like a really good usable state. I want to say. Oh yeah, I think it was definitely like a year and a half. I remember like people were making videos constantly, like Halo Master Chief Collection. A year later, is it worth it? Should you play it? Um, what updates are coming? And then they finally released the final update that made this what it should have been at launch, right? And this is where, like, that's where this it's so disappointing with this game is that it should have been been where it is now at launch, and it would have been this game to sell Xbox One consoles to get people back on the xbox bandwagon but it bombing is just another aspect of today's industry where they rush to get things out for anniversary edition or for to hit some magical date and they don't give people the time to finish and polish the game where hey we're going to ignore that because we don't think it's a real concern it's like no look at it and get it fixed um so like i said now master collection is something that you definitely want to get now it definitely wasn't there when it first came out I think the only thing, only bad addition to Master Chief Collection is the mongoose, uh, <laughs> mongoose guns, because it's a it's a vehicle that can only shoot in one direction and never can hit your target because you're never looking at right in front of it. You can't aim them, yeah. So like an ATV for those who don't know what it is, it's an ATV with two mounted guns, and imagine the Batmobile with no aim on the guns on an ATV and you realize how useless this vehicle is. You're better at just being a bullet sponge than anything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and originally this ATV was just a small two-piece from vehicle to like run a flag runner basically is how you how you would strategically use it. It was a flag running a vehicle that was smaller and a little bit harder to hit, right? So they added guns to it. I remember I was at the presentation where they first announced the gun goose. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Cool. I, gotta, I can actually fight on a, on a mongoose. And then when you played it, it's like it can only hit stuff right in front of it. That's the only <laughs> thing you can hit. You don't drive in a straight line in this game. How can I shoot anything? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's supposed to be maneuverable for a reason. But, yeah, yeah. it was very interesting. So, I mean, um, I mean, going into the future of this game, how do you see Halo Infinite panning out? Now, Halo Infinite is kind of a big mystery, right? Because... Halo 5, I think, was poorly received on the story, right? Because nobody liked the bait and switch that the campaign that the marketing campaign gave you. Uh, this big hunt the chief uh, campaign and all that didn't pan out in that game. It's a very predictable kind of where kind of place it was going, and we all knew kind of where that story was going to end, right? Now Halo Infinite, from what they showed of that game, seemed like it didn't take place at all with any relation to Halo 5, like. There's a trailer where like some salvager found the chief maybe floating in space and reboots him somehow. It's like cool, I rebooted the chief. It's like, how did that happen? The chief wasn't floating in space la- when we last left him. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not where we left off. And they also introduced a new villain, which a lot of people were really psyched about the villain, right? Like, okay, cool. This this villain looks like he's really well developed. He has a grudge against humanity. Awesome. But it's a villain from maybe I think from what I've been told is um, the Halo Wars franchise, which is the RTS hmm. games. So if you didn't play the RTS games, you have no idea who this person is. Uh, and and the RT- and honestly, like a jump from a first person shooter to RTS is a big big jump for a gamer to make, right? Some some people like RTSs, some people don't. Halo Wars is probably the best rendition of RTS on a console, but notoriously console RTS is are not great and are not really fun to play that much. Some people have played them, and what my, the reviews that they've given me has been like, yeah, it's it's okay, it's fun, but I'd rather just play first-person Halo, right? 
Um, so you have, once again, them bringing in a villain that nobody knows that doesn't have any relation to the story that we were playing. Um, and then they basically scrapped all that, it might seem like, because they said, okay, nobody liked our presentation. We're going back to, we're going to take the game back, not release it on time. They're holding it back for another year, most likely. A lot of the creative directors and people working on the game originally have left 343. So it sounds like the game was in development hell and may still be. So where's it going? Honestly, nobody really knows. Now, what's worse about that is that this was supposed to be a launch title for the Series X. So the Series X ended up launching without a launch title. And that's the problem with this generation, right? Because of COVID and uh, because of delays like this, neither... PlayStation or Xbox really have killer apps to launch their their uh, consoles on, which that's what they sell at. I mean, you see tons of news stories saying, hey, the PlayStation and the Xbox, they sold for a loss. It's like, that's not news. Consoles always sell for a <laughs> loss, guys. It's They make their money back on the software and on the memberships that people buy for Xbox Live Gold and all that. Um, but this year really feels like it's a dry year for gaming because none of the games that were supposed to come out that were, that were really big panned out and other games just have not come out and have been delayed. So who knows where Infinite's going. They're going to be giving away the multiplayer for free to everybody. So it's going to be free to play. I wouldn't be surprised if it has a Battle Royale element in there, which, okay, I'm sick of Battle Royales. We've, we've seen them all. <laughs> Once you beat a Battle Royale, there's nothing else to do. You, you beat it. Who cares? Um, making it a free-to-play means there's probably going to be microtransactions in it because they got to fund keeping the servers on somehow. Uh, that's not going to make it any fun. Um, and the story is a complete mystery. And if you're just going to tell another story in the Halo universe with Master Chief again, it feels like you need to be telling a story like, like ODST, something without the Chief. Like Microsoft is now put the golden handcuffs on Master Chief in themselves saying, if it's a Halo game, Master Chief has to be in it. And ODST and Halo Reach prove that you don't need Master Chief in a successful Halo game. You just need a good story and good gameplay. The gameplay roadmap is lined out for you. Now write a story. And unfortunately, I think, which is the biggest problem with the game industry, is nobody has a story to tell. Everybody's just copying game, mechanic, game mechanics from other people and monetizing it to make money. Yeah, like last time you mentioned Fortnite copied PUBG. <laughs> yeah. Know, and then Call of Duty copied Fortnite. And everybody <laughs> has a Battle Royale. And if Halo puts a Battle Royale in there, then you know that 343 had no good new ideas. I mean, even in that gameplay demo that they showed us uh, before they can't, before they delayed the launch of the game, what was the new newest thing that they showed us that the Chief could do? He had a grappling hook attached to his wrist. <laughs> that's not new we've seen grappling hooks hell they had grappling hooks in assassin's creed i mean uh, i was gonna say uh what was that old game commando <laughs> i'm trying to remember that old game bionic commando Bionic commando yeah he had, a, he had a grappling hook it's like as i said the ideas are running dry so infinite could be a wild card could they make a really good game maybe but i think anything that has the chief in it is not going to be compelling because his story is over he saved the universe from the flood where we think they really should go with Halo is like what you had said was make yeah. a horror game, make make a game about the flood and the forerunners uh, before Halo. Do something in the universe, but leave the chief out. His story's done. Tell a new story. 
Yeah, I mean, even if you have the, the Master Chief in it, I mean, it's not essential that he's a pivotal part of it. You can even have him cameo, and I think people would be satiated if, if you could just fight alongside with him. Kind of like Destiny, right? You kind of play and fight alongside Master Chief, so you kind of have that cool angle. But, you know, going into the horror elements and the action of it, what would really, in my mind, pique the interest of gamers, not even just the, the Halo fans, but really even non-Halo fans, is... You're going to do this story justice, 343. I would say focus on the horror elements and the flood. And if I was in charge of the story, I would write the story out as this big battle between the humans, the Covenant, and the Forerunners in this big battlefield. It could, it could be across multiple rings or across one ring, but in my mind, I think it's good to have it in like one ring, particularly one large battle specifically in this big battlefield. And let's say there's you know a certain amount of troops in each faction and they're, they're kind of equal. Have... Have the humans or the Spartans or whoever you play kind of start winning. And right when you're about to clinch victory, that's when the Flood show up. And amongst all the deceased people on the battlefield, the Flood now have the biggest number of soldiers to fight. And then you have to join forces with the Forerunners and the Covenant just to maintain your survival against the onslaught of the Flood coming at you. <clears throat> to me... That would be absolutely cool to see. And there's a lot, you know, going back to the food for thought, you know, when it comes to entertainment, I think there's a lot of cool things you can say with that. You know, you have three enemy factions batting together to fight the flood. You know, it sends a cool message of how people can set aside their differences and work together against a common issue. And you're still giving players a compelling experience. To me, that would be a much better direction to take it. You can still keep the horror. You can still keep the action. You can kind of give yourself some of that Starship Troopers element when they first land, right? Because that's kind of what I think made Halo so interesting in the first place is you're overwhelmed and you have to find a way out of it. I would love to see a return to that type of storytelling with the Halo franchise. And I, that's what I would choose to do if I could have that creative control with Halo. And I can totally see criticisms and people comments saying like, well, hey, if you did that, you're just retelling the same type of story over and over again, right? And the thing is, is that if you really look into story writing and storytelling, a story a literature professor will tell you like there's only seven or eight storylines ever. And they're all retold over and over again, just a little bit different in a, little, in a different setting or a different character archetype with it, right? It's okay to, to hit the same theme points over and over again, hit the point of hey, we had to put our differences aside and work together. It's still relevant. People don't get along today. We're not living in a <laughs> utopia where everybody gets along and the concept of wor of working together is foreign is not foreign to us. It's still a foreign concept, right? So it's good to tell these stories over and over again and bring new things to it. So that is our whole spiel and like my rant on Halo. It was like how it was really good and then it completely came crashing down because... 343, in my opinion, is a developing studio of fan fiction being written and not really creating core ideas of how to like write a real good game. Um, they've just taken stuff from other games I've worked and thrown, thrown it into the Halo universe and said, hey, look, this is just like everything else. And as soon as I hear them mention a Battle Royale mode in Halo Infinite multiplayer, we're going to know they did the exact same thing again. So... Hopefully, that's not the case. Thankfully, Halo's now on Game Pass. You don't have to pay for it. You just buy Game Pass and you'll get to play at launch for free instead of paying 60 bucks for it or 70 bucks for it, whatever the new game prices are going to end up being. So, if you're a Halo fan, we already know you're going to play Halo Infinite. If you're not a Halo fan or if you've never played Halo, get the Master Chief Collection. 
it's the best way to experience the fran- the best of the, of the best of the franchise. Um, and let us know what you think, and let us know if we missed anything that you think that we should have talked about in the in the comments. Okay. So we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, you can find us at fortrightgaming.com. Uh, and you can find our podcasts on all your favorite podcasting uh, platforms, whether it be Apple, Google, Podbean, uh, I think Alexa, uh, Intune, and whatnot. Spotify. Uh, Spotify, yeah, we are on Spotify too. Got that set up. Uh, you can also find uh, all our content on fortnitegaming.com, uh, as well as the podcast, our video content. Um, I stream every Friday and Saturday on Twitch under the name uh, Found at the End. Uh, you can f- uh, we have a Facebook group called Fortnite Gaming as well, so you can reach us there. And you can also find us uh, at Twitter under Fortnite Gami One, <laughs> so that's Fortnite Game One, uh, which you can also find our website. So basically, if you go to our website, you'll be able to find links to all our stuff. Uh, as always, thank you for listening, and remember, Fortnite Gaming making gaming content for gamers by gamers. We'll see you next time. Bye.